This is a sermon given at St. David's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. Visit our website at stdave.org. It is good to see you all. It's not often that I'm gone three Sundays in a row. And so it's nice to be standing here and see familiar faces and to see you all. I don't know if your summer has felt like mine, perhaps it has, but it all started when our friends from Malawi came to town. So we had three weeks of visit and engagement and travel with them. And then we were home from that and then had a little bout with COVID and got over it. Chris had a little bout with COVID, my wife, and then got well just in time to fly to Baltimore for general convention, jumped on a train, went down and saw my mom in Richmond for a few days after that, back here for a week's work, last week at the beach with Chris, so we could have a little vacation. Back here, Chris goes to work, back to school on the 8th of August. <clears throat> Summer's gone. <laughs> it's like, how did that happen? I wonder if your summer has felt like that as well. It has just whew, blown right by. There's so much that we could talk about today. We could talk about General Convention, which was in Baltimore, particularly around that one resolution that we taught an entire Sunday school class on about open communion which never even came to the floor for discussion, debate, or a vote. So we could talk about that. But actually, there's a lot at General Convention. It deserves more time, maybe a full Sunday school class or a Wednesday evening gathering. Or we could talk about Lambeth Council, which is going on right this minute in Canterbury. 700 Anglican bishops from around the world have all gathered to take counsel for the church. It is a big, beautiful, important gathering. But it's still going on. So I kind of think we should let our bishops get home and talk to us about their experience of that, and then we can talk about it in the life of the church, which leaves us turning our attention to the lectionary for today and to a baptism of Callum Ellis, who is paying really close attention to me. Y'all should, y'all should take a lesson from the way he's listening. It's very good. So we got those. Let's turn our attention there and see what we can put together. The lectionary gives us four unsophisticated body blows on the same topic. So much so, really, we could just sit down and stop talking because the lessons are very clear about what it's about. It is each one in their own way trying to help us address our relationship with material possessions, with the things that we own. Started with Ecclesiastes, not a particularly cheerful writer, I don't know if you picked that up from the lesson that, that all was vanity. And he talks about that we all rise in the morning and we labor all day and we sleep at night. Our minds can't even rest. We think about work, 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 and then we die and everything we worked for goes on to some ungrateful soul down the line that didn't work for it. That's a summary of what he said. And you all said the word of the Lord, thanks be to God, which is kind of weird. <laughs> which makes me think some counseling might be in order for, <laughs> for all of us. But I mean, it's, the, the point is, is clear that for thousands of years, we have known that some of the way we engage the material world is vanity, and yet we still do it. We still just labor and labor and labor and strive, and we have this acquisitive nature. It seems to be a part of each of us, unless we have worked very hard to turn loose of it. Something about us just wants a little more with no definition of more. Wants enough with no definition of enough. 
The psalm reiterates what the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying as well, talking about that those who boast in their riches are the biggest fools of all, and that this will all be passed down eventually to someone else. Paul, in his letter to the Colossians, in another passage that we did not hear today, also tries to talk about this, but he pulls it from a spiritual and emotional perspective, sort of a psychological take on this acquisitiveness. And he says the life and faith we are to, to let go of what he calls the works of the flesh. And that is acquiring, grabbing, holding on to in all sorts of ways. He, he says anger, malice, lust. He lists off all these things that are about wanting something that someone else has. And he calls it greed. And then he calls greed idolatry. And so what's idolatry? Idolatry is when we cling to something other than God for our safety, our security, our trust. When we put our trust in something else, some material thing. That that is actually idolatry. So Paul, also warning, saying that the life in Christ is to hold loosely to the world. He says in another place, I've learned the secret of life. I've learned how to be happy with little, and I've learned how to be happy with a lot, because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He replaces his acquisitiveness with the love of Christ. Then we move to the gospel lesson. It's the fourth body blow of the lectionary today, and it is Jesus. He was a, some stranger walks up to him and says, Teacher, tell my brother to give me a share of the inheritance. Not an unreasonable question. Culturally at the time, when the father died, all the material possessions went to the oldest son. This, I'm assuming, is not the oldest son. This might be the baby of the family saying, this doesn't seem just. Could you help me with this? Could we just carve out a little bit to help me out? Does this sound familiar, even though it's not the same custom? Has anybody been in a wrangling match with the parents or grandparents' material things? How do we sort all this out? Jesus, in quintessential Jesus style, refuses to do what he was asked to do and instead tells a story. He goes, yeah, we can't help you with that. <laughs> but beware, beware of putting your trust in material things. And he tells a story. He says, once upon a time, there was a rich man, already a rich man, who had a bumper crop. It was a beautiful year, great year, had all the crops. He had more crop than he could use. He had nowhere to store his crop. And so rich man says to himself, says self, what should I do about this? Taking his own counsel, he ponders it, says, here's what I'll do. I will tear down my barns. I will build bigger barns. I will store all this in those barns. And then I will have all I would ever need. And I will be able to sit back, eat, drink, and be merry. Let's pause for a moment right there and consider what he's just committed himself to. We'll come back to Jesus' punchline in a minute. He has decided that the salute, taking his own counsel, this is a pretty important part, taking his own wise counsel, he says, I will tear down the barns that I have and build new ones. So just ponder this. He's got to bring in a bunch of temporary storage buildings and put them all around his property. He's got to hire some folks to move all the stuff that are in his current barns because they're full and put all that stuff in those storage containers so that he can then tear down the barns that he has, haul off all those materials, and then he can start to build new barns. First, he has to apply to the city for a permit, and it takes three to six months for him to get permission from the city to build something on his own 
property away. Am I expressing the frustration of the building committee right now? I think I just got... <laughs> now he gets his permit. Oh, but, you know, there's a material and labor shortage, and so he's going to take a lot longer than he thought. It's going to cost a lot more money than he thought. Finally, he gets his new buildings. He hires someone else to bring all the stuff that was in the, his old buildings that are now in temporary storage, put them in his new buildings, and then put the new crop in his buildings, and then haul off all the containers. And then he gets to sit back and toast himself. I get to eat, drink, and be merry. He's going to toast himself. How long do you suppose the toast gets to last? Because I'm no farmer, but I'm guessing if you have silos full of grain, there is some significant work involved in keeping that fresh and making sure it doesn't become spoilage. So he's committed himself to a life of sorting crop, of shuffling, of rearranging things. That's what he got when he got his own counsel. Back to Jesus. Jesus says, and God said, you fool, today, your, your very life is being demanded of you. And what's going to happen to all those fancy barns you just built? They're going to go on to somebody else. They will be somebody else's problem. Somebody else will then get to spend the rest of their life sorting things. So I was in a conversation with my brother-in-law, Jim, who's a pastor of First Baptist in Richmond. We were wondering what the problem was, really. What is this person's sin? I mean, because it doesn't say he extorted anyone. It doesn't say he stole. It doesn't say he extorted his workers. It doesn't say he shorted anybody. It doesn't say he was a criminal in any way. In fact, it says he was successful. He was already wealthy. He was good at what he did. That's why he had a bumper crop, because he was a good farmer. So then what's the problem? Why is he the object of Jesus' lesson? And I think we, the, the truth of that is wrapped up in the, the first person singular. Every single thing in this story is first person singular. It's me. It's me. He said to himself, what should I do? Here's what I will do. I will tear down my barns. I will build new barns. I will be able to relax and eat, drink, and be merry. There he sits, all alone on his porch, toasting himself and his stuff. Maybe that's why Jesus picked him as an object lesson. There's no overt sin. It's just that Jesus is always trying to get us to loosen our grip, to loosen just a minute, open it up, maybe share a little bit of it, instead of acquiring just more and more and more to loosen, to share, to seek other people's counsel. What might be a good use of this bounty that has happened in my life? Maybe I should ask someone else's opinion about that. See if there's some need out there that needs to be addressed. How much more? How many more barns? How much more storage? How much more of a life committed to sorting? Jesus is constantly confronting our acquisitive nature our desire to hang on to things that we love. Now that since we're about to have a baptism, this is true with babies too. 
This is true with our sea. She snuggled him right when I said that. Of course you did. And I can talk like this because I'm an old man and I have adult children. So <laughs> I know what this is like. What do we do when we have our babies? We just grab them and we hold them and we want to snuggle them. It feels good, but we want to keep them safe and we want them to everything to be just fine. They're ours, right? But we also know. We also know that there are stages in life that kindergarten's coming and sixth grade is coming and first date's coming and college is coming and on and on the list goes and we have to constantly loosen our grip. Because if we don't, things get twisted and broken. The promise of this passage is if we could just loosen our grip a little bit, loosen the grip on these material things in our lives, loosen the grip on whatever it is, even if it's everything you own, you brought in a bag when you walked in the door, or it's stuff that is spread out all over this town in storage units, loosen the grip, even if it's our own babies. Loosen our grip. Allow God to guide, allow God to counsel, allow God to advise, and see what happens. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You can find more lectures and sermons on iTunes by searching for St. David's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas, or visit our website at stdave.org and click on the podcast button.